2: Hello and welcome to the 147 podcast with me, sports MC Phil Seymour and him, the former triple crown winner and snooker world champion, the magician, Sean Murphy. Episode eight, Sean. Episode eight, we're still here. How are you?
3: I'm really good, yeah. Who, how are you? Who'd have thought we'd get to eight episodes?
2: I know, it's mad, isn't it? I think Dave, Dave Hendon's on episode 3896 now of Snooker Scene, and do you know what? It's still as good as ever, annoyingly.
3: Yeah, there was a bit of crane noise, wasn't there, in the last episode? <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> we, we've all been there, haven't we, when we're trying to record something and there's like this noise outside you can't get rid of. Yeah, we've all we've all been there. But you know... In all seriousness, and of course, we're, we're just very early days with this podcast. And of course, it's, it's topical because a few weeks ago, the guys at the Talking Balls podcast bid their farewells. It takes a bit of commitment, doesn't it, to churn the content out week after week? Obviously, we're just doing ours every fortnight at the moment. But, you know, all credit to these guys, you know, past and present. And of course, a special mention, of course, to the Snooker Scene podcast. Um, because, you know, he, 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 he was the first and, um, you know, uh, you know, carrying that torch for us, for, for everyone.
2: Absolutely. And it's, uh, as I said, it's always a great podcast. I, I was actually thinking, you know, with that annoying droning noise in the background, it was like Michael McMullen had rejoined the snooker scene podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired, <laughs> Michael, Shots I'm joking, fired. of course. I am friends with Michael McMullen. He's a nice, nice man. Sean, it's been a busy old time in the world of snooker, hasn't it?
3: Very, very busy. Yeah. I mean, not for me. <laughs> uh, not, not for me uh but uh, yeah i've been watching a bit of snooker on tv it's been good um but i tell you what i will say the thing that the thing that's standing out for me already we're only a few events into the season how well is everyone playing by mm. the way yeah how good is the standard at the moment it's ridiculous
2: scarily good and i mean scarily good i, I I talk snooker up, okay? I'm, a, I'm an MC. It's, it's kind of part of my job to talk snooker up. But I've been saying for ages, this this is the golden age of snooker. I don't care what anyone says, Well, oh, like the 80s and everything else. If you look at the top 10 greatest players in history, yeah, there's more of them active now than there ever has been in the history of snooker, okay? There's more of that top 10 active now. You then look past <laughs> those those greats that are in the top ten, and you look at the the quality that's there, and you look at some of the players that are coming through. Well, we'll start where We probably should, which is the British Open. It was won by Ryan Day. Now, at the start of the week, you you would not have picked Ryan Day to win that. No slight on Ryan; he's, he's a great player, and he's you know he's shown especially recently he's hitting some real form. But you you look at all the other players, and you wouldn't have picked Ryan. But in the final. Semi-final, not so much. In the final, he was superb, wasn't he?
3: Yeah, you know, Ryan Ryan would be on the list of you know you know. First of all, there wouldn't be anyone on the tour with a bad word to say about Ryan. You know, he's yeah. one of the good guys, and um, and he also, you know, we we would have a bit like you know, you Stephen Maguire's and, and Mark Selby's and, and and you know a lot of other players. You know, we we came through the junior ranks at the same time, and. Um, you know he, he he would be a he would be evidence of somebody who no matter what your pedigree was or is it's not a done deal it's not a certainty that you're going to go on and have this stellar career because as a junior as an amateur player ryan day was very very special and 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 you know i'm not saying he's underachieved by any stretch but i think everyone including himself thought he was going to go on and win more tournaments he, he has every shot in the book what he is a perfect demonstration of I believe is is just how difficult it is to win you know it's it's not a done deal um, um, uh, and when he plays to his potential he can beat anybody he's a real real handful talking of hands he does have the biggest hands you've ever seen and it's you know when you go in for a handshake <laughs> at the start of a match you just pray that he's not going to crush your fingers because he could be not only a great snooker player but he could be the world mercy champion as well if he wanted
2: to be. He has got big old hands as Ryan Day. Did did I ever tell you my Ryan Day COVID story? Did I tell you that? No? No. No. Oh, no. Right. I don't know. I, I don't know whether I should tell this actually, but I'm going to anyway. Back in the back in the COVID days, um, we were finishing a, an event in Milton Keynes on the Sunday. There was another event starting on the Monday. So the players that were starting on the Monday were turning up on the Sunday to get COVID tested. So it's the Sunday, it's the, the mid-session, not the, the break-in between the afternoon and evening session. So I went back up to my room to start packing to leave on the Monday morning. So I went into the hotel, got in the lift, and at the time, it was one person to a lift. There was all the signs, you don't get in the lift with other people. So I got in, pressed the button, and then Ryan Day jumps in the lift. I don't know, he probably didn't spot I was there, but he jumped in the lift just because the doors were closing. And he sort of stood in one corner, I stood in the other, and he, he goes, you all right, Phil? I said, yeah, good, Ryan, you? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right. Anyway, he went off for his COVID test. I went upstairs to get packed. Finished off the final. Monday morning, I get in my car to drive home, put the talk sports on the radio. Welsh snooker player Ryan Day's tested positive for COVID at the whatever tournament in Milton no. Keynes. And I'm in the car going, oh no, he was in the lift with me yesterday. He got in the lift. We're not meant to share lifts. He got in the lift. I was like, oh no. So I'm driving home. And I'm absolutely paranoid. I was in the lift with the guy for about 12 seconds or <laughs> something like that. I'm <laughs> thinking, well, that's that's me with COVID. That's me in bed for the next two weeks. And it was just one of those mad things. But thankfully, Ryan recovered fully and and I didn't get COVID from him. Um, but yeah, it was one I got in the car and I was like, oh no, of all the players, it had to be Ryan Day who got in the lift with me yesterday. But just a word for Mark Allen. Mark Allen was, was fantastic all week at the British Open. He, he came short in the final, sadly, for Mark, but... He's showing amazing form just before we go to Northern Ireland again.
3: Yeah, well, it's funny. It's, you know, it's horses for courses, isn't it? And then, of course, as the defending champion in Northern Ireland, he's getting around to that time of year. He generally plays well in this time of year. You know, he's done well previously in champion of champions. He puts little runs together. A um, bit of a streaky player, Mark. You know, his, his form does tend to come and go a little bit. Um, he's a very hard worker, very conscientious, you know, professional um, but it's not easy to sustain a very high level all the time. Um, but, yeah, as defending champion with Northern Ireland just around the corner, you know, what a great time to come into form. I thought he looked the winner of the British Open all week. I thought he was going to win it. Um, I suppose going into the final, though, you know, I'm sure he'll have kept an eye, half an eye on, you know, Ryan's semifinal. The thing we all thought, you know, there was no way that Ryan Day would play badly. In, in, in the final as he did in the semi-final. And I hope that, you know, I hope that that's not offensive to Ryan or his supporters, you know, because we've all had bad matches. I, I remember uh, the semi-final I played against Yan Bin Tao uh, in the Welsh Open a few years ago that I went on to win. Well, you know, the semi-final was turgid. <laughs> you know, it was horrific. It wasn't just the worst match of that week. It was the worst match of this century, you know, by some distance. Uh, I said after the match, you know, not that the match was a long match, but Jan actually had a birthday halfway
2: through the <laughs> He did, match. didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what that is? So, it's the first you know, time. We've all been there. Ryan, after that semi-final, actually said that he was considering withdrawing from the tournament the night before the final because he played that badly in his semi-final. And then he goes and plays like that on the Sunday to, to win the British Open. And you think, what a turnaround overnight. So that was the British Open. Great event. Milton Keynes staged it and and they deserved an event there because they looked after us during COVID times and everything else. So, great win for Ryan Day. Superb form shown by Mark Allen. And, um, yeah, fantastic. Things then moved on and we've had the Hong Kong Masters, the Invitational Hong Kong Masters, um, with, I think, the top six players in the world and the two invites, which were uh, Nguyen Yee and Marco Fu. Now, Weird oh, Marcy
3: as Ronnie referred to him. Marcy you Foo, know, yeah. Marcy Foo.
2: <laughs> well, Zhao Tong went down with Covid, so Mark Williams got the call, didn't he? Which that was just his social media has been brilliant because he literally, I think he put something like, I'm looking for my cue. <laughs> <laughs> Jumped on a plane. Is it right? He got off the plane at 10 o'clock in the morning and he was playing at one in Hong Kong.
3: Said something like that. Yeah, there was there was a bit of a push uh, to get in there on time, and I'm not sure if there was a problem or if that was the you know that was just the way the timings worked out. But yeah, he, he didn't have much. Um time to get you know off the airplane and he's get his luggage and get to the venue and walk out and play and of course he kicked off with a century yeah right it was as if you know what's what's happened here like that's
2: probably the most mark williams thing that's ever happened is not it he literally steps off a plane and knocks in a century just like and it wasn't just a century it was a very very good century as well um
3: i think when you're dealing we've said it before you're dealing with these you know certainly the class of 92 uh, and players of that class, they're made of different stuff. You know, they're able to do things. The rest just, you know, aren't. Yeah, uh, in all honesty, and uh, they're just, they're just, they, you know, they're they're made different. They're not made like the rest of us.
2: Absolutely. Now, you said about Ryan Day. You said, you know, you won't find anyone on tour that will say a bad thing about Ryan Day. Another player who who is in that envelope very very much is Marco Fu. Now, Marco Fu for the non snooker watchers who listen to podcasts. Marco Fu is from Hong Kong, so he got the, the invitational card for the, uh, for the Hong Kong, sorry, invitational invite for the Hong Kong Masters. Um, Marco's had horrendous luck. He's had, he's had eye operations um, and then COVID hit and everything else, and he, he was stuck over there, wasn't able to come over here and compete on the tour. Um, he's one of those really, really lovely guys. I think he's actually a justice of the peace in Hong Kong. As well oh, as being really? as well as being a snooker player, yeah, yeah, he's, he's he's quite he's quite known in society in Hong Kong, and
3: I know he has his own talk show, or he certainly used to have his own talk yeah. show. But I wouldn't say he's the Graham Norton of Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> I, that would be unfair on one of them. I'm not sure who that comparison is worse for, but he does have his own talk show in Hong Kong. He's he's you know he's a he's full celebrity status in Hong Kong.
2: Oh, absolutely, he is yeah, definitely. Well, Marco Fu. He was there as an invite. Uh, on ye got knocked out first round uh, by Ronnie. And you, you sort of looked and you thought, well, Marco's not really played that much recently, certainly not on tour. Um, so you didn't really expect that much for him. He was superb. He had, he had a run to the final where he got beaten by Ronnie O'Sullivan in the final. But in the semi final, he was behind all match against John Higgins, got to the decider. In the decider, In front of his hometown crowd in an arena with about 8,000 people in, in the deciding frame, knocked in a 147 maximum break, and it was phenomenal. And the roof came off, didn't it?
3: Unbelievable. Yeah, the roof did come off the Coliseum there in Hong Kong. It was an incredible, incredible moment. Gonna test your snooker knowledge now for a split second. Can you think of any other times where a player has won a match in a deciding frame with a one four seven?
2: Oh, no. no I can not I c I can't. I I'll I will i will hold my hands up to that and say no, I can't. I was
3: just wondering whether, you know, all those hours spent in the press in the press <laughs> room might like, have just rummed off on you. I know it's a lot of nonsense. Isn't it? I can it's... think of two. I think Ronnie O'Sullivan had made one against Mark Selby in the semis of the UK championship a few years ago. Okay. And very famously, I think way back in the 90s, I I can't place it, it was the Liverpool-Victoria, I think, Charity Challenge or something like that it was called. Niche. And Stephen Hendry had a massive lead against O'Sullivan. Uh, O'Sullivan pegged him back to eight frames each. And Stephen Hendry, having not seen a ball for six frames, dropped a long red in. If he misses the red, he loses the match. He dropped the long red in and proceeded to make a one four seven. Now, there might be others as well, guys. They're they're the... um, they're the two that spring to mind. If you got it, if you can think of any others, get in touch with us and let us know. But um they're the two that spring to mind.
2: That's crazy. That's that that's nuts. But I was I was watching Marco's live on Eurosport and um oh wow. I I think I tweeted he can't, can he? When he was on yeah. like the last red and oh he just it was phenomenal. If you've not seen it, just search it online, it'll be on YouTube, it'll be on World Snooker's um social feeds absolutely fantastic and so pleased for him because after the run of horrific luck and fortune he's had he deserves to have some form and and to get through to beat John Higgins and John the grace John showed in defeat there by the way having been ahead pretty much all match was incredible and I think he said you know I'm I'm gonna stick around and watch the final because I want to see how Marco goes against Ronnie and you know I'd expect that from John to be fair because he's he's a classy guy but um yeah that was lovely and then Mark, if we went on, played in the final in front of, I believe, the biggest crowd that have ever watched a snooker match. And Ronnie O'Sullivan won in the final, um, as would have been expected. But, yeah, Ronnie is um, looking in good form, it's fair to say.
3: Yeah, and, and to be fair, you know, he has been on record as saying he prefers those type of events, those kind of exhibition events. They're more his thing. He does a lot of exhibitions of his own between tournaments. You know, the, 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 the busy schedule of the ranking event seasons don't really suit him. Of course, you know, he's just won the World Championship, of course, which is the toughest test of them all. So he can pass any test thrown at him. But he's, you know, he's on record himself saying he prefers those types of things, smaller field events. Um, and I'm sure now, you know, as he moves into his late 40s, you know, he probably starts seeing pick and choose a little bit more, playing in more of that type of thing. Um you know, but he's, he's great value for that for that type of show, you know, big crowds and the big moments, uh, you know, yeah, you wouldn't have anyone better, you know, to perform for snooker in in, in that setting.
2: Absolutely. Now, let's talk about venues for a moment, then, because um, we tweeted out a poll on Twitter um, saying, you know, 8000, 9000 people over there in the Hong Kong Coliseum. A huge crowd broke the record for the the largest crowd ever to watch a snooker match. Now I've said for some time, I've actually called for the premier league snooker to come back and to scale up a bit like premier league darts, which I've been to premier league darts in arenas. You can't see the board. It's a million miles away from where you are, but the atmosphere is incredible. The reason I was told premier league can't come back is the calendar, the schedule. But for me, there's some windows in the calendar. Um, now, I reckon a, a shootout style of one frame, like we're seeing in the 900 on Sporty Stuff TV, which has been great watching, by the way, these last couple of weeks. A shootout style thing, maybe, I don't know, top 32 players, four weeks, eight players, knockout, one frame, quarterfinals, semifinals, final. The winners go through to, to the winner's week. So it's just five weeks. In that, you have a round robin where they all play each other, the top two players in the league at the end of it, play off. That's your final bang in arenas on a, I don't know, a Wednesday night, a Tuesday night, a Friday night, even when there's no other sports on necessarily football. That's got to work in an arena. It worked in Hong Kong.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I mean, the, the Premier League, the Premier League. you know, I won it. I remember winning it years ago. It, you know, it was a great, great event. It was something aspirational to look to get into. It was only the top eight or, or defending champion and, you know, top six in a in- couple of invites or something like that. It was very special to be in it anyway. I know that. Um, and uh, that used to tour the country, you know, Thursday nights, uh, you know, very similar to the darts, you know, the same thing. That was exactly the same. It was, And it was a great event, very similar to how you just described, I was told back in the day the reason that ended was that Snooker just didn't fit the eye of whoever Sky Sports was making the decisions. And that was and that was why Snooker, you know, it's not on Sky anymore. It's, yeah, uh, it's not at all, is it? No, and I was told it just didn't fit the whoever, whoever it was who was making these choices. And again, I, I don't know who that person was. But I was told from a fairly reliable source that Snooker no longer fitted their... Um, you know, where they where they felt the sports channels were going. that was very disappointing to hear. But there um, have been a few different initiatives over the years that have been tried and you know, people have tried to jazz Snooker up, make it other things, make it turn it into other sports or or take things from other sports and try and make Snooker, you know, more or less than what it currently is. And of course that hasn't always worked. The players haven't always, you know, jumped on board and fully supported these initiatives either. Um, and again, I'm not saying that's why it's not on Sky Sports, but there's a there's, there's a reason somewhere. You know, in the, in the vaults at Sky Sports, there'll, there'll be a reason as to why snooker's no longer on it. I wish we could change it because, uh, you know, I think it's 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 a shame that we're not on that. You know, you know, a lot of people in the UK and Ireland have Sky, um, and, and on their sports channels, you know, football's on all the time. Yep. Uh, even fishing's on from time to time. Golf has pretty much its own channel. Uh, but we're, we're no longer to, you know, we're no longer there. Um, and that's a shame.
2: Don't give it even fishing. I've worked on the fishing several times. So don't give it even fishing. That's a great event. It's fishing. What I would say is it's not just Sky. Look at Channel 4. Channel 4 this season have shown Super League matches. So Channel 4 have got into Rugby League for the first time ever. There's nothing to rule out a, a Channel 4, a broadcaster of that, who are trying to grow their sporting base showing a Premier League snooker. I'm, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of reasons why it doesn't happen. I know, as I said, I've mentioned it before, and the calendar was, was the one that was thrown at me, which is probably very, very true. But there's got to be some attempt made. If they can pack the arena out over there and get the atmosphere like that, we can pack arenas out here. If they can do it for darts, they can do it for snooker. I don't think it works for long-form snooker, because I think if you if you want that that size of a crowd, they've got to be allowed to have a few drinks and have a bit of fun and... I think it needs to be that kind of an event, but I would love, absolutely love to see snooker go to that kind of scale in this country. I think it'd be fantastic, I really do.
3: Yeah, there's a couple of elements to that puzzle that kind of link together. The first one being, I remember speaking to someone very senior in the PDC years ago, and they conducted a bit of a test of the crowd who'd been to the Ali Pali for the World Darts, which is obviously on over Christmas, and New Year, every year. And they they discovered that only 7% of everyone who bought a ticket to come to that event and actually come to watch the darts. <laughs> um, Brilliant. 93% of people who were in the alley Pali across that three week period were there for a night out yeah. or a day out. And the darts happened to be the medium through which they were able to have a good sing song and a great day out. Um, the other element, you know, that that's obviously a, you, you know, that that sort of day out idea and that that raucous crowd, which we have at the shootout. I don't know any snooker players that wouldn't mind playing in front of a crowd like that, yeah. but it does only work with a one table setup, uh, and that links into the second problem. If you have a one table setup, you're talking, um, you know, restricted fields. It's not opportunities for everybody, um, and we we're already in a position at the moment where, you know because we've lost the events in the Far East, you know, the tour as a whole, you know, WST have a responsibility to the whole the whole tour, um, not just the elite players. Yep. Um, however, you know, and we've already mentioned uh, the Snooker Scene podcast, Dave Hendon uh, wrote a very good piece, it was out today, um, you know, about, you know, how, how the leading lights of snooker need to be used a little bit more to promote snooker, and it's no bad thing that these elite events happen. They do take the the title and torch of snooker to the the corners of the world wouldn't necessarily, you know, get to see any of it as well. And uh, that's not a bad thing. Um, You know, we have to remember who the customer is, who the client is. I'd have nothing against uh, more of these showcase-style events in big crowds. We've now proven we can sell out a 9,500-seater stadium. Uh, We were always told Wembley Arena was too big for us. Uh, when we used to have the Masters there, when we didn't have a home for it. Uh, maybe maybe, maybe we might struggle selling Wembley Arena out, but maybe this is now, you know, this has certainly added fuel to the fire of those people who want to see the World Championships moved to a bigger venue, uh, the Masters moved to a bigger mm. venue. Um, there aren't loads of people who want to see that, but there are quite a few people who think that those events should be played in front of bigger crowds, and, and this goes a long way to, to fuel in their fire.
2: Yeah, we shall see. Talking of big crowds, last year's Northern Ireland Open final was a, a sellout at the waterfront in Belfast for Mark Allen winning his home nation event, the one he'd always want to win. And that happens next week. It begins on Monday, Mr. Murphy. You have a first round match on the first day, on on the 16th, against Chinese player Zhu Um A good player as well. A very good player. That's... that's no easy first-round match?
3: No. I mean, you know, it's cliche, but there are no easy first-round matches uh, anymore in snooker, as I have demonstrated many a time. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, Zhu Xi is a, a Chinese player that I, I regard very, very highly. Um, I think I tipped him a couple of seasons ago to, to go off and do very, very well. Um, it's very competitive. But, of course, uh, I'm not 100% sure which... One of the academies in Sheffield he's attached to. I think he's based out of one of them. Um, they're, they're, you know, they are just uh, almost factories of of progression, aren't they? They're just churning out talent, churning out great performances. Iron is sharpening iron in those places. They're practicing against each other constantly, um, and you know, Zhao Tong is bringing on Yan Bin Tao and. They're 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 encouraging, you know, the rest of their you know friends and countrymen. They're in it together. They live together. They travel together. Um, it's great to see actually the support network that's that's there. Um, I hope they all abandon him for Sunday. And <laughs> hopefully, hopefully he won't bother turning up. Well, you're
2: you're playing him on the first day. Just just looking at this, uh, the first day, the 16th of October. Okay, in the morning, Karen Wilson, Ken Doherty, Zhao Shintong against Lu Hao Shan, Yan Bingtao against Liang Wenbo. That's just the morning session. Then the afternoon session that you're on, Ricky Walden against Zhao Gudong, Judd Trump, Rod Lawler, yourself against Jusser, Neil Robertson against Fraser Patrick, Mark Selby against Ryan Evans, and then local lad Robbie McGuigan against Joel Connolly in the evening. Mark Williams, Barry Hawkins, Anthony Hamilton, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Mark Allen, Stuart Bingham, Luca Brissett. What a day's play. People with tickets for that first day in Northern Ireland are going to see some incredible talent. And you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the only person they're not going to see is you
2: they won't not not unless they're still there on the Friday because I, I fly over on the Thursday I've got there get there the Thursday and then I am on the microphone Friday, Saturday and Sunday tickets are still available for the Waterfront Hall in Belfast for Northern Ireland Open I think for all days so wst.tv forward slash tickets or go to the Waterfront Hall website it will be great. The atmosphere will be fantastic. I know last year was very special. Mark got to the final. So his Northern Irish fans absolutely packed the place out and were rewarded with an incredible match that saw him win in a deciding frame. But seen some incredible games in Belfast. The the atmosphere there is always special and I think it brings out the best in the players, Sean.
3: Well, there's no question that playing playing in front of any audience where you feel appreciated, where you feel like they've got a you know a real strong love for the game, passionate supporters. doesn't matter where it is. Um, you know, playing in front of these people is where it's at. It was horrible during the pandemic. Uh, you know, playing in front of nobody. Nobody enjoyed it. Um, in fact, Mark Allen and I had a very good game in one of them I think it was the tour of champs, and we played it behind closed doors. And of course I said at the time, you know, Mark's used to playing in front of nobody, you know. Whereas, you know, uh, it was something that was fairly new to me. Nobody watches his games anyway, unless it's in Belfast. Wow. Um, no, in all in all seriousness, though, that's just a bit of a joke. But um, no, I think you know. All that said, the the, the, the snooker fans certainly in Belfast, particularly, uh, are very very strong. And um, snooker is alive and well in Northern Ireland hundred percent. And um, hopefully, you know, as a tour, as a group of players, we can put on another great show for a great crowd.
2: Definitely. Now, I think I said Monday. It starts Sunday, doesn't it? It starts this coming Sunday.
3: It starts Sunday. Now, if I'd have taken you at your word there and turned up on Monday, <laughs> if I'd done a full Neil Robertson and either gone the wrong day or the, or gone to the wrong venue, I'd have been in trouble there and I would have blamed you.
2: I don't know if there are two Belfasts actually, there must be another Belfast somewhere there that Neil could Belfast go to, somewhere. I'm sure that, I'm yeah. sure there could be. need no. to get
3: one of those Aussie sat-navs.
2: We do, yeah, it starts on Sunday, the Northern Ireland Open starts on Sunday, tickets are available, wst.tv forward slash, tickets for that, I always say it, but if you are there, I'm there from the Friday, come and say hello, if you see me wandering around, come and say hello, if you see me in the queue zone or wherever, just come and say hello it's always nice to meet people while we're on about obviously not sean he's a bit big time so he'll probably just ignore you run off get one of his minders to sort you out i'm not sure anyway after this sean it's time for your rant so get limbering up we will have sean's rant just after this
0: this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile
4: That's stamps.com. Code program.
2: You're listening to the 147 Podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's the words at 147pod. Now, Sean, I am in a hotel room, as you know, um, and I have, I don't have a plug socket by the bed, but what I do have is a USB socket. Are we taking that? Are we accepting that as a victory?
3: I suppose a USB, you know, it is 2022, isn't it? Um yeah, I guess that can be accepted. Most things can be plugged into there, can't we? I was just saying you must be in a hostel or some kind of, you know, you can't be in an actual hotel. But I guess I guess a USB uh, is permissible within the rules of the rant. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, what are these people thinking who design hotels now without a Without a plug socket next to it, what is that about? Who are these idiots?
2: Do you know what the, the hotel that I'm in? Um, it's actually got behind the bar. It's got a wine tower. Okay, it's got like it's got effectively a wine rack, but it reaches like forty foot up into the air. Now, the most incredible thing about this is on a weekend, they have the wine angels who are suspended from cables who actually go up and down this wine tower. And bring they are abseil down the tower to bring your bottle down, but they're dancing and spinning around on these cables as they're coming down. Seriously, it's amazing. The, the Radisson Blue at Stanstead, if anyone ever is nearby or <laughs> comes in, it's amazing. So you, you get people like literally flying up and down this tower to get your wine. It's oh, phenomenal. I, I, t-
3: I tell you what, I, I'm now very worried to ask you what you're doing there. Well, i to be honest, I'm very
2: worried. I'm, I'm practicing I'll ask my you wine you've been abseiling. Recorded. The, the trouble is, Sean, it, me and you, I'm sailing down a tower of wine. How far do you reckon we'd get before we just give it up and just start drinking the <laughs> drinking the proceeds?
3: <laughs> before we climbed up to the top, I'd say.
2: Yeah, we wouldn't get a couple of rungs up. Anyway, it is time for your rant, Sean. You have one minute and 47 seconds. It begins when I say rant. It will end with the claxon. Sean, the magician Murphy, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Sean's rant, three, two, one, rant.
3: Yeah, right, okay. The rant this time, there's been a few really good rants of late. You know, the first one, the episode one one was pretty poor, but this one I'm going to struggle with, I've got to be honest, because this is niche. I've done a few niche ones, but, you know, they get widely accepted. They're widely well received. This one's quite niche, and I don't want to alienate anyone by it. But this one's about food packaging, and specifically, specifically, smoked salmon. Now I can already hear people out there going, "Oh, here he is eating smoked salmon." Or I get it. Smoked salmon is, you know, is a fairly common thing now. Do you know what I mean? Let's get on with it. And you know, we'll have the poached eggs in the morning for breakfast. I want to stick a bit of smoked salmon on. Can I get it out of the packet? No, it's not getting in the packet, of course. But whoever has packaged smoked salmon must have been a maniac. There's no way of separating the, the, the pieces. There's no clear definition between uh, where one piece starts and where one piece ends. You know, I, I'm not sure whose idea this was, but I, I can only assume that the same person then went on to design the Irish traffic light system <laughs> because they both must have been created by an absolute lunatic. In Ireland, for those of you that don't know, there is no amber light. So you'd be sat at red traffic lights and then out of nowhere, they just turn green. So obviously, you know, Doris at the head of the queue isn't ready uh, or I might be checking a message or whatever. And, 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 and invariably, you don't set off when you should do. And of course, you lose time. And instead of four cars getting through, only one car gets through. You've got your man behind you beeping his horn. All he wants to do is get to the shop to buy his bloody smoked salmon. Can't do it.
2: Right, a couple of things. First of all, obviously, Sean would never ever check a message whilst in his car, even at traffic lights. Would you, Sean? No,
3: Philip, I would
2: not. I didn't think you would, unless of course you can do it via your screen in your fancy car, which I'm sure you can do. Right, you usually of th-
3: have my man do it for me. Well, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be getting involved in these things. That
2: leads me on to my next point. Has your cook told you about the issue with the smoked salmon when they're opening? Oh, I, I don't understand. You you chef, never get your hands dirty like
3: that. Behave. Chef has mentioned it. Um, Chef has mentioned it, and of course I have to listen every now and again when we have his uh, when we have his re- uh, review every <laughs> six months. No, in all, in all seriousness, <laughs> like seriously, there will be people out there who think I'm mental, but there will be people listening to this, and if and if you're one of them, I want to hear from you. Who, when you open that smoked salmon, it's so nice, you're so excited to be having it. How do you get it out?
2: But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna add to that bacon, packs of bacon. They have the little the the See, flip bit in the, the corner, but you try and it, all that happens is the corner tears
3: off, and you've still got a fully sealed bacon packet
2: every single time. Very very and the annoying. The
3: only way to get in there is with your fingers, and now you now your fingers stink.
2: I think we'll leave that there, Sean. Right? What do you think? Food packaging is it a nightmare? Sean's had a good old rant about it. I think he's right actually this time. I really do think he's right. What do you think? We are all over social media, at 147pod, all one word, all letters, 147pod. Let us know what you think. For Sean, it's smoked salmon. For me, it's bacon. I think that probably says a lot about the two of us, if I'm completely honest. That was Sean's rant. Let us know your thoughts. Right, on to listener questions, then. We've had a load in. Some of these are held over, because we had far too many last week. But we will get through as many as we can. Any that we don't, we'll roll over to a future episode of the podcast. Right, we begin with GCHQ98 on Twitter, who says, Sean, as a child prodigy many years ago, who were your rivals as a kid and who didn't break through that you thought might? That's an interesting one, though.
3: Mm. Yeah, and it's been a real sort of a head scratch to this one to try and, you know, get back in time and uh, get the old, you know, into the memory banks and and try and remember because it's, uh, you know, as you said, I'm I'm getting on now. But um, the junior scene, you know, that my generation followed was very, very strong. Obviously we were six, seven years behind Euro Sullivan's and Williams's and Higgins. But, uh, you know, my generation kind of followed Matthew Stevens, Paul Hunter, it's just been Paul's anniversary of him passing away. Um, you know, just recently there, 16 years, you know, mm. what, what an incredible talent that we lost. Um, but they, they were the lights that we followed. You know, there's myself, Mark Selby, Stephen Maguire, Ryan Day, as I've already mentioned. These guys are guys who, who have, yeah, some of them, you know, Stephen Maguire was supposed to go on and, you know, be a world beater and, and win major after major. That hasn't happened for whatever reason. Again, a bit like Ryan proving that it's just not that easy. Um, but had a great career nonetheless. Um, the players who should have come through, who we were all together, there was a few um, from from the Mansfield area, from the Midlands. Uh, a really good player was called Luke Fisher. Um, very, very tidy player. You know, any one of my era, we you know, again, there'll be lots of people listening to this who, who played in and around that time. They'll remember Fisher. You know, we used to call him Fishnets. Uh, and... Uh, he, he was just a fabulous, fabulous player, as, as I say, from the Mansfield area. But for me, the one, the one player who I look back at and think, "Yeah, he had everything, and, and he had every shot, he had every aspect of the game." It just didn't translate for him when he did turn pro. Was Lee Spick,
2: okay. and he
3: was he was an absolute phenomenon as a young player. Um, had a few documented troubles away from the table as he grew into adulthood and you know, became a young man. And he, very, very sadly, seven years ago, passed away uh, himself. And as I say, a uh, very, very sad situation that overtook his life. Um, he was a phenomenon as a junior snooker player. When he arrived at Willie Thorne's Snooker Centre for the, you know, the weekly under-19s or under-18s or whatever it might be, there was an audible groan used to go around the room oh crap Lee's here you know he, he was so good um, and I just only wish he'd been able to you know come through because he would have been a household name for sure
2: yeah and there was that who was, who was that young lad you used to play with was that Mark Selby bloke whatever happened to him
3: yeah he was decent he wasn't he bad was, de- was he
2: he was alright was that Selby
3: he was good I tell you what he was a good snooker player he was it's a good thing he didn't go on to have a career as a hairdresser because he had some <laughs> terrible haircuts. There's a, few, there's a few ropey pictures doing the rounds on social media out there. He's had some dodgy haircuts in his time. Um, I think he may well have been uh, manhandled by a stylist in recent years because there's no way that he's, he's responsible for his changing style of, of late. He's quite a stylish guy now.
2: If we're talking uh, if are talking haircut, Sean, I'm looking at you at the moment on Skype and you're looking a little bit Morrisy over there. Is is that Mahoosive quiff staying for the Northern Ireland Open?
3: Uh, this is this is what happens um, when you've uh, you know had a full shower and not styled your hair.
2: <laughs> it's not lockdown, you know. You
3: do know it's not lockdown, don't you? <laughs> you need to be careful, Philip. You haven't got many haircuts left yet. Oh
2: man. wow. Wow. On that note, let's move on to the next question.
3: Uh, Donald underscore tweets from Twitter says how do snooker players book their flights and accommodation etc when they don't know how many days we'll be away for great question yeah it's interesting because I was chatting to a couple of golfers about this played in a few of the uh, kazoo pro-ams in the summer Uh, luckily to get an invite there I was asking them how they do it and of course you know the major big 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 timers uh, you know have their agents and management companies do it for them but you know they were saying they have help from the tour uh the tour get involved and book them, you know, travel from event to event. We we just do it ourselves. Um we we we've had situations where the players' body have had relationships with a few companies who do this for us, who help us with, you know, this this sort of um the booking of flights and getting the right deals and stuff like that. Although I think the majority of players, you know, do it all off their own back. Uh in terms of, you know, how we go about, you know, do we book it for the week? Do you book it just for the day after your first match. That's very much personal choice and I think reveals quite a lot about players' intentions and their belief in themselves. Um, to my own detriment, you know, I will always book my hotel for the entire duration of the tournament, uh, you know, trying to create that positive mindset that I'm going to be there for the week. Um, that hasn't happened a long I was going to say, you must, you
2: must cancel a lot of hotel rooms.
3: <laughs> I've got a lot of cancelled uh, nights in hotels up my sleeve. Um, but, no, I think that's, you know, whenever we would go to China, there would be there would have been help in previous years, you know, getting to and from airports in China. Obviously, there's a massive language barrier, so the tour put on transportation for, for everyone. Um, uh, and flights like that would be, you know, booked, booked out there. I would always book the return flight for the day after the final. Again, trying to create that positive mindset. A lot of players would book it for the day after their first match and then take the view that, well, if I have to change the flight, well you know, then I've, had a, I've, I've won a game and it's a good, you know, I've got to make the call to whoever it might be and uh, it cost me a few quid to change the flight, but I've, I've won it, so it's okay. I, I think, you know, snooker players, there'd be a lot more players than people would think would be living on a, not hand-to-mouth, but, you know, living month-to-month uh, and, um, you know, would be very much trying to cut their cloth accordingly. Uh, In terms of their travel and expenses, because that's one of the things, you know, your expenses on tour are the same, whether you're number one in the world or you're a number 120 in the world, you've still got to get to events and stay over and stuff. And as I say, in the majority of events, those costs are your own and you've got to look after the pennies.
2: Yeah, I've got to say the amount of times I've seen players who they've they've maybe had a win on the evening session, they weren't expecting it and all their stuff's packed up in the car you know, ready to go home. And they they literally, they come out of the arena and they're straight on their phone trying to find themselves a hotel somewhere near the venue for that night so they can just go, throw the clothes in, crash, and then get up the next day to play again. It's, um, I suppose it's an occupational hazard, isn't it? It's just, just one of those things that happens. Just on the, the China thing, I remember um, quite a few years ago, I gave a, a player a lift back to the hotel at the shootout. Um, I think it was Gareth... Alan, I think his name was, Gaz, nice love, actually. Boston. Yeah, Gaz Allen. yeah. Gaz Allen. yeah, real, real good guy. And um, I gave him a look back to the hotel, and I said to him in, in the car, I said, oh, you know, where, where are you next? And he said, oh, it's the China Open, China Championship next week. Um, I've got Ronnie O'Sullivan in the first round. He says, so I'm uh, going to fly to China, lose a snooker match, fly home. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just as, as cut and dry as that, fly there, lose a snooker match, fly home. And that was, that was his plan for China, which is, uh, so there you go. Yeah. Players tend to do it all themselves. Right. The Mariners Torquay on Twitter. Now the Mariners Torquay, they're big snooker fans. They've got a, a guest house, a hotel down in Torquay. Um, often chats us on Twitter. So hello to everyone down there. Um, do you think the crucible two table setup could be played without the large dividing wall and instead have a small dividing wall like at many other events?
3: something I I remember being suggested years ago uh, from my time on the board of WPBSA. uh, This came up for Congress Cubs. We were saying that, uh, barring the qualifiers, um, Crucible was a bit of an outlier as as one of the few remaining venues that still has that dividing wall. You know, you can't sit everywhere in the Crucible and see both tables, you know, and and that would be a bit of a, a rarity now on tour, you know. Even in the, even in the days of the home nations with eight tables or more, most of the seats you can see most of the action. You, you might need binoculars, but you can see it. <laughs> um, whereas, unless you're fairly central in the crucible, you know, and you've got one of those sort of the seats up the stairs in the middle of the arena, you can't see the action. But it was suggested about having that uh, that partition, either getting rid of it, you know, completely, or or having it perspex or something so you could see through it um i suppose just i think there was a feeling that you know it, it it is the biggest of biggest tournaments in the you know and 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 the 32 players that get to play there the privileged 32 that make it to the crucible um deserve every chance of playing you know undisturbed no unnecessary movement in their eye line from the other table and of course if you removed it altogether it actually acts as a defining wall between playing areas, you know, you would end up um, with, with you know, a, a club scenario where two players would, the, the ends of their queues would bang together, you know. It is that tight. There's, if you took it out and two players were playing on the side cushions backing into each other, there's just a matter of inches between them. Uh, and that wall, you know, uh, apart from being great advertising for the sponsor, actually <laughs> does define... Uh, the playing
2: arena. Oh, fair enough. There you go. There you go, Mariner's talkie on Twitter. There's your answer. Sean. Uh,
3: Sean W, great name, on Instagram. What one item or personal possession could you not go on tour without except your queue? Wow.
2: Um, I'll, I'll go first on this. Obviously, mobile phones. We, we live and die by the damn things, don't we? So, obviously, mobile phones. The other thing I would say is my Bluetooth speaker. I have a Bluetooth speaker in my room so I can I can listen to music in decent quality, I can listen to podcasts. Do you know what, when, when you're on tour, you spend quite a lot of time in your room and it's lovely to be able to just lay on the bed or lounge in the bath, stick a podcast on, put some music on and just chill out, to be honest. So for me, it would be my Bluetooth speaker, I think.
3: You? Yeah, for me, it would be my, uh, I have one of those massage guns you know, I've had, everyone will know that I've had, you know, pretty bad problems over the last few years with my, you know, neck and back. And I, I ended up getting last season one of these handheld, you know, guns. It's got different heads on and stuff. And you can really batter into the muscle, you know, if you've pulled a, uh, got a bit of a problem or a twinge somewhere. And it is worth its weight in gold, I have to say. I wish I'd had it, you know, much earlier in my career um, because there's been times where my, um, you know my PA on tour who travels with me, Robbie. You know he, he it wasn't in his job description to have to give me a massage with this thing, you know. But he has found himself doing it. So, Robbie, if you're listening, thanks, mate. Uh, you have got me out of a few sticky situations with that massage gun, but unfortunately, it is staying.
2: So these, these massage guns—is it um, are they from Anne Summers or where are they from?
3: I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to go any further on this conversation. <laughs>
2: I think we move on to the next question at this point, Sean. Does need we.
3: massive batteries, though.
2: <laughs> next question, Sean. Uh,
3: next question is from Lindsay Feeks White on Twitter. Which venue has the most comfortable seats for players, and which has the worst?
2: Oh, that's a good
3: question. Interesting that because all the, obviously the, the you know the seating for the players is provided by the tour and the, the set designers, uh, which is the same for pretty much all the tournaments, I think. Historically, uh, the best seats were always at the Wembley Conference Centre. Those really plush, you can see them. Those plush, Chesterfield-style um, red sofas or single double-person chair things. They were phenomenal. I sat in them a couple of times, lucky enough to play at the conference centre, and they were phenomenal. Um, the seating at the Crucible for the players has got... Has gone terrible over the last few years. That used to be really nice. You get to like the semi-finals and final, the seats would be great. You'd be thinking, "Yeah, this is fabulous." They're now they're just terrible. Lad. You know, they such a they seem like such an afterthought. Um, but I guess you know if you you spend too much sat down as a snooker player, if you spend too much time in your chair. You've done something wrong. Maybe it's maybe they've done it on purpose to encourage you to play more. I don't
2: know. Yeah, they shouldn't be comfortable. The Championship League ones always look really comfy. They have like the big leather armchairs at Championship League, don't they?
3: Great shout! Great shout! They In always
2: fact, look. Yeah. Fan- I've never done that event, but they always look proper, comfy old leather armchairs. They look fantastic.
3: Well, they are, and I think everyone was relieved when the Championship League moved from its original venue at Crondon Park in Essex and it moved into Milton Keynes. The only thing we were bothered about was whether the chairs had made it. Thank <laughs> God they had. Those chairs, I'd forgotten about those chairs. They are I think they might even have their own Twitter account, you know, those chairs. They are phenomenal.
2: Yeah, they always look good. So there you go. We think it's a Championship League uh, leather chairs. Right, next up, Petra S on Twitter. Now, you'll remember Petra, Sean because she very, very kindly at um, the ICC Wales last year, she brought me a homemade apple pie. Snooker fans are the best, by the way. Snooker fans are the best. She brought me a homemade apple pie, and it was absolutely phenomenal. So I've got to ask her a question. Petra S on Twitter, how long will Sean keep playing as a pro, and what are your ongoing career goals? Do you want to answer that, or shall Um, I...
3: Stay on the tour. Um, Yeah, do you know? I was thinking about this recently. You know, will I be one of those players that, as soon as I feel that you know I can't win again, um, will I retire or move to the seniors tour or move off into something else, or will I, you know, play long into my, you know, older age as long as I'm still eligible on the tour? Would would I I still play? And do, do you know the honest answer is I actually don't know. Sat here right now. Um, I'm not sure. Some days I wake up and say, I oh, know I'll play snooker you know, on the tour, go to these tournaments and, and, until I'm no longer allowed. Um, and then some of me think, sometimes I think mm, I don't really want to be there. Sometimes I think some of those players have just not outstayed their welcome. But you, know, if you, can, if you if you no longer feel like you can win, sometimes you feel as if you're perhaps taking up the space of someone else who, who's maybe a little bit more deserving, a younger player coming through. Uh, give someone else the opportunity. So sat here right now, I don't know. In terms of career goals, um, you know, I, I, I've achieved nearly everything that I set out to achieve as an, an eight, nine-year-old boy on this journey. The, the the one thing that I never, I haven't achieved yet is getting to number one in the in the in the rankings. I never made it that far. Never climbed Everest. I've um, uh, been to you know several base camps up the mountain uh, <laughs> and got got close. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to get to number one. Um, and of course, you know. I think ultimately, you know, as long as I try and leave the game in a much in better state than it was when I turned pro, um, I'll feel like I've done my bit.
2: That's fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Um, he's still got tournaments left in him. He's still got trophies left in him. Yet, yeah, I am absolutely convinced of that fact. However, if someone comes up with a, a massive bid to sponsor the podcast, of course, you'll retire tomorrow and we'll just do this full time. Happy days. Anyway, next question, Sean.
3: Uh, I'm going to get this name wrong. I think it's Dale Byrol or Biryl, Not sure which one it is from Twitter. When will you enter some pool tournaments, Dale? This is very, very simple. Never.
2: Sorry. How do you know he was asking you? He might have been asking me that question. He's not specified there. But why never? You you spoke about this on Twitter recently, and you sent you sent Emily Fraser a bit of a get me come and get me a plea, didn't you?
3: Let me let me let me clarify. Um, when we're talking about pool. It's important that we clarify if we're talking about English pool, you know, the traditional reds and yellows that's played in most pubs across the UK, or American pool, nine ball or straight pool. If the opportunity came my way and it fit with my schedule and I was able to do it for a bit of fun and a bit of a challenge, I definitely would play in some nine ball events, maybe in the States, the US Open, a bit like Judd did a couple of seasons ago. Looked great fun. I really enjoy that game. Um, I, I just enjoy it uh, I, and um, certainly when I used to play it as a, as a younger man, we had plenty of nine ball tables in the club that I grew up in um, was was pretty good at it um, so I would enjoy that in terms of English pool um, and I was quite clear with, with the guy on, 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 on Twitter, you know, we didn't have a row, we didn't have an argument but it got a bit heated I just don't like it and uh, you know, it's not something that I've ever taken to. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to play it. Uh, I have no interest playing it. Um, and if you ever see me playing it, it's either because um, I've been cajoled into playing it by somebody in a pub who who <laughs> won't leave me alone, uh, uh, or, or or I'm very drunk. W- what what one or the other, or a mixture of both. Very. <laughs> yeah it's not for me
2: well i've done a bit of a pool now a bit a bit of a pool a bit of pool announcing in both in in english pool and in in nine ball american pool um i enjoy watching both i enjoy playing both um they're both having a real resurgence at the moment or a real period of growth i mean what matrim are doing with with nine ball is is phenomenal what the ultimate pool guys are doing with with english pool over here as well is is fantastic so it's Listen, Paul is Paul is undergoing a huge period of growth at the moment. Personally, I think it's brilliant. It's all cue sports, and and the more kids that see it, pick up a cue, play cue sports, the more are going to play snooker, the more are going to play pool. Absolutely fantastic. So yeah, the more pool, the better, in my opinion. Right, moving on then. Andy J. Can I just won- clarify oh.
3: before before we move on, though. I just want to clarify because I know this. I know my timeline will be full of people. Uh, saying this if I don't clarify this point. I'm by no means uh, decrying anyone that plays it uh, or having a go at the game. You know, I, I have the highest respect for for people who play all these different formats of Q Sports uh, and I've, you know, different levels of interest in them all um, just English pool just isn't for me but as you say, like what the Ultimate Pool League are doing, you know, is great and this. Mark Allen's, you know, switched codes. Obviously, Selby, you know, is a former world champion. Ryan Day's Which,
2: playing in it today. The,
3: the, Ryan's played in the it. The new champion. I've got nothing against it. It's just not for me.
2: So there you go. So just for clarity, Sean hates English pool and everyone involved in it. Get on social media. Give him some abuse. Right, Andy J 147 on Twitter. From the office, will a man ever swim faster than a shark? We get to the serious matters now, don't we? Sean Murphy, will a man ever swim faster than a shark? No. Correct. No, because we're evolving and they're evolving as well. So the answer to that question is no. Moving on.
3: James Simpson from Twitter. You've mentioned Strictly, but are there any other TV programmes you'd like to be on? And does Sean plan to write an autobiography at any point?
2: I think the autobiography ones come up before, isn't it? That that's been mentioned previously. What do yeah, you reckon? Yeah, that was
3: that was mentioned. Yeah, yeah. That's can been you mentioned.
2: write? Can you write? <laughs>
3: I can. Thank you. I have, I left school at thirteen. I remember passing some GCSEs.
2: Uh, Take a while to get it done in crayon, though, won't it, Sean?
3: Wouldn't it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So oh, dear. go on then. Do you plan to write an autobiography? or or? A ghost-written biography. Um,
3: the, the truth of the matter is, I always said that. Uh, I always said that for an autobiography to be of any interest, it has to be the absolute, no holes barred truth. Um, and an extension of that is, you know, if I if I were to write one, it would just be a little bit too offensive to some people. <laughs> So there's there's still a few people who need to spiral off this mortal coil before I can write the book. That's fair um,
2: enough. Okay, so you've mentioned Strictly then, but are there any other TV programmes you'd like to be on? Well, I said Hunted and, and I'm a Celebrity, um, which I'd never gotten either of those because I'm not one. So, But I would love, I'd love to get on Hunted. I'd, I would absolutely love that. Sean, what about you?
3: Well, since my surgery, I'd be terrible on it now. I wouldn't be able to sample <laughs> much of it, but I'd love to do the Bake Off, something like that. Bake off, really? Really, I'd really like to do Bake Off or MasterChef. Or MasterChef would be good. I'd really enjoy that. Um, I did. uh, I did Ready, Steady, Cook years and years ago. Or was it called Can't Cook, Won't Cook? Which one was it? It was one of those. I
2: don't know. There's both.
3: I think yeah. And uh, I did. Higgins and I went down to to do it. It was a little bit 2007 or something (laughs) like that. And uh, I'll never forget because he eventually won. You know, more people voted for him than they voted for me. And he got £100 charity and I got this massive hamper of wine and cheese. <laughs> Winning. On the train home.
2: Winning great. at life. Sounds fantastic. I've got to say, how funny would it be, by the way? You get on Celebrity Master Chef, and the first task they do, right. Okay, Sean, you've got to make this uh, salmon something or other. You go to open the packet and you can't get the bloody stuff out.
3: <laughs> i just walk off. Forget it.
2: That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Okay, so there you go. He wants to go cooking and baking. Um, Gary on Q on Twitter. Great guy, Gary. Has the players' love for the World Championship declined? Lots of top players seem to want radical change, yet fans love it as it is. Why is there such disparity?
3: Good question, isn't it, Mm, Yeah, great question.
2: I I don't think it has, personally, just from from talking to people, I don't think it has. Um, I just think people look to improve things if they can. And I think that's where it comes from. What, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I think I think there's a very fine line uh, and it's one you have to get very close to crossing in, in trying to make things better. Um, you know, any players that I know that have put forward ideas about the World Championships, you know, nine times out of ten is always done out of a, a spirit of improvement and, 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 and any criticism being constructive... I don't know anyone that just shoots it down for the sake of it. Uh, and it is one of the best events in, you know, on the British sporting calendar, if not the world sporting calendar. It's, it's an iconic um, event every, every single year. I don't know any snooker player that doesn't dream of walking out and playing at the Crucible. That is For most players, that is their absolute goal. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it might be a bit of a myth that um, everyone's sort of going off it. Um, not at all. But, you know, I I think we have to be careful not to just sort of always just sit back on our, you know, rest on our laurels and accept what we've got. I I think it could be better. You know, I don't think we've maxed it out yet. Um, And I think, it you know, it's good to have the debate. Um, But, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about here a few episodes ago and, and, and a very innocent answer I gave to a listener question about the World Championships you know, suddenly in some media outlets, I was you know reported as you know being very critical of the World Championships and ideas above my station. I should stay in my lane. Um, well, you know, I think you've got to remember these things in context, and uh, you know, we're all in, we're all entitled to our opinion, aren't we?
2: Absolutely, we yeah, are. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as I've said before, we you know we don't say anything on this podcast to to try and cause outrage or inflame anything. We're just, we're just speaking our mind on this. We're just um, saying what we what we think, honestly. So um, there you go. No, I don't think the, the, the love of it's declined at all. I think people are just trying to improve it as we go on. So let's have our final listener question of this episode, Sean.
3: Right, okay. The last question of this episode goes to Raj Djol from Instagram. What are the top three? Now, we might be able to do this together you know we can each have 3 what are the top 3 most disrespectful things an opponent can do and what would get you hated on the circuit
4: ooh
3: so as a player or what you know things you've seen that you think oh that was a bit oh that was a bit naughty
2: yeah t- turning down the handshake at the start of a match that's that's right up there for me that it, it starts it starts to starts the match off. It's happened quite recently. Um for me that's that's pretty horrendous. And it's at the start of the match that so really sets the tone as well.
3: Well, one of the other things that's that's very, very high up the list of most disrespectful things you can do is a very old school, an old fashioned club trick which only works if you've got a two-piece cue or a cue with a joint. And what you would do is you would, as your opponent is attempting to play what you think is match ball, you would unscrew your cue. (laughs) As As a symbol, you want to do it before they play their shot. You're doing it as a symbol of, well, you're bound to pop this ball, so I'm going to unscrew my cue. And it's happened a couple of times on the tour. Very, very rare to see it. Mostly because most players play with a one-piece cue. But it has happened. It happened very famously at the Crucible uh, between Stephen Hendry and Nigel Bond. Uh, and Nigel got down to play match ball on the black. It was a black ball decider at nine frames each.
2: Oh, wow.
3: As he got down to play the black, a long black into the corner pocket, Stephen unscrewed his cue. Oh. Ah, sure you're bound to pot this. Nigel did pot it and took a leaf out of my book and went in off.
2: Oh, never! Which is and the frame, see, isn't if
3: it? If you see it on YouTube, there's like this weird because it, it made the scores level, so he had to reattach his cue and play the respot. Wow! Terrific!
2: Oh, Goodness me, that's well amazing. So, well, there, there's a few there. Obviously, there's there's the obvious ones, not tapping the table and and that kind of thing, and the old Q-bang as well, which we uh, we see from time to time. Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's a handshake, and for Sean, it's the the unscreen of the queue. Right, we've got questions we haven't got on. Snooker Goss, Tom Godball, Ian McEwan, uh, Colm Healy, Adi G from Germany, and Niall from the Monday Morning Football Chat podcast. We will get your questions on the next podcast. I absolutely promise you we just don't have time for them. Today, right, Sean, only thing left to do is... Our pointless question. The pointless question this week, I like this one, actually. If you could replace all of the grass in the world with something else, what would it be and why?
3: Yeah, I mean, th- these can, can I just say, these pointless questions are, are getting just, I mean, pointless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: That's the idea, Sean.
3: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the correct answer is, is AstroTurf.
2: Oh, where's like... the fun in that? There's no fun I'm... in that.
3: Where's the fun in removing all the grass from the planet? Well, like, you, could I mean... re-
2: you could replace it with jelly snakes.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Ah, Ooh. yeah. You see, you've not thought this through, have you? You could replace it with candy through. floss. You could replace it with oh. chips. All the wonderful things. You could replace it with smoked salmon that's not in packets. Do you
3: know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay true to my DNA. And I'm going to say I'm going to replace... All the grass in the world with the finest, most beautiful snooker cloth money can buy. And I'm gonna cover it in straw number ten tournament cloth.
2: It's going in bays. Good lord. All those interesting, exciting things you could have used, and you've gone with bays. There you go. Well, if you could replace all the grass in the world with something else, what would you replace it with at 147 pod Hang on, or what would you replace it with? Over social media. Oh, I've given you loads there. Jelly snakes, candy floss, chips, all the good stuff. Pork scratchings. Oh, pork scratchings everywhere. It'd be wonderful. It'd be a fantastic world. What a great place to live in. What a place to live in. I'll tell you what, you'd move to Kent just because there's more grass. It'd be amazing. <laughs> anyway, we start the Northern Ireland Open on Sunday. Sean is there on Sunday. I am there from next, I'm I'm there from next Thursday, I'm there from next Friday from the quarterfinal stage onward. What are you doing before then, Sean?
3: Yeah, just training, just practicing. Um, You know, very, very boring, mundane things that people wouldn't think about. You know, I've got to get Obviously, it's a different dress code for the home nations. Yeah, um, we don't wear waistcoats, so it's all of you know, getting the getting my um, you know the branding logos for my sponsors, stuff like that. I've got to get that on my new attire. Obviously, I've lost a lot of weight, so I've got to have my new shirts tailored and all of that stuff. So there's all that little like admin stuff going on in the background, um, and trying to make sure my game's in good check, you know, good 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 form, and uh, yeah. Stuff like that. Oh, and, and a bit of, you know, last golf of the season. Obviously. Well,
2: of course, the last golf of the season. Well, I've got, in fact, you know, I've got a great couple of nights this weekend. In the last two weeks, by the way, I've had, I had a boxing show in Denmark. I've had a boxing show. I was with Tyson Fury on Saturday night and Tommy Fury's brother because their other brother, Roman Fury, made his boxing debut. And I was the, the ring announcer for that on Sporty Stuff TV. Um, but I've got a great one, Friday and Saturday this week. Friday for ABC snooker exhibitions up in Mansfield. An evening with Steve Davis and Dennis Taylor, the eighty-five final. What a night that's going to be! And then we all go from there down to Kent, where we're doing the same for for Ben Sizer, who you'll know Ben very well, I'm sure. Down in Kent on Saturday night, there there are two venues and two guys I've worked for previously. The people that go to these events are fantastic. They're, you know, as you know with these exhibitions, Steve and, and Dennis will play against members of the audience, and they'll play against each other in a recreation of the eighty-five final. We'll have a little laugh while we're there. I am absolutely certain. But yeah, it's going to be great to get back out on the road and meet some of those uh, wonderful people that I meet when I'm there.
3: Have you ever done a night before with Davis and Taylor? I haven't. Well, I want to know. When you come back, I want to know whether, when they do the rerun of the 85 final, which I'm sure they will do, they do a rerun of the final frame. Does Steve ever win these nights? I don't know. But do you know
2: what? Knowing Steve, he'll take it seriously.
3: Oh, he'll be trying. He will he'll take it seriously big time. Dennis Dennis never mentions it, of course.
2: <laughs> never. No, never. But to be fair, Sean, you would, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Every minute of every day. So that's my weekend, and then next week I am over to Belfast. If you see me there, do say hello. But for now, that was episode eight of the 147 podcast. It's all done, Sean. You, Good night. You can go good night cheers sean i shall see you again in a fortnight take care bye that was the 147 podcast with sean murphy and phil seymour if you enjoyed what you've just listened to make sure you subscribe leave us a review and interact with us across all forms of social media at 147 pod that's all words at 147 pod thanks for listening